Thank you so much for tuning into the Let's Talk podcast, and welcome to season three. My name is Christopher, and I'm the Communications and Graphic Design Manager for the National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS. At NRS, we operate the federally designated national communication system for youth who have run away, are experiencing homelessness, or who may be considering leaving home. For over 50 years, we've provided crisis support and resources for young people, families, and communities across the nation. I hope you learned as much as I do on this journey to elevate the voices of young people and youth-facing organizations as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections witnessed by 4.2 million young people each year. Today, we're joined by Angela Lee from loveisrespect.org, one of my favorite national youth-facing organizations. Hello, Angela. Why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Hi, Christopher. I'm really excited to be here and share space with you. My name is Angela Lee. My pronouns are she, her, and they. I am the Love is Respect director. Um, Love is Respect is a project of the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and I've been with the National Domestic Violence Hotline for 12 years. Started off on the front lines as an advocate, quickly moved to program service manager, and for the last three years, I've been currently serving as the Love is Respect Director. Excellent. So for the people who aren't familiar with the organization, how should they distinguish between Love is Respect and the hotline? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think the most significant difference between Love is Respect and the National Domestic Violence Hotline is the demographics we serve. So Love is Respect is the national resource to disrupt and prevent unhealthy relationships and intimate partner violence, right? By empowering our young people through inclusive and equitable education, support, resources. And our targeted audience, the young people that we serve are between the ages of 13 to 26. And they may contact us because they have questions about their romantic relationships. We remain the only teen helpline serving all of the U.S. and its territories. Now, like I said, although we are part of the hotline, and I say the hotline in abbreviation, the hotline strives to answer the call to support and shift power back to those affected by relationship abuse. Additionally, the hotline has mandated or authorized through the passage of Violence Against Women Act, better known as VAWA. So for 26 years, the hotline has provided essential support, connection to resources, personalized safety planning, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 365 days of the year to survivors and their loved ones. As of today, the hotline has answered over 6 million contacts through calls, chats, and texts. You mentioned a couple of things that we'll definitely come back to, like safety planning and connection to resources. Um, But since we started off talking about you, I'm curious, what are some of the values that brought you into this line of work? Yeah, you got five hours? No. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that question. So before working for Love is Respect in the Hotline, I worked in restaurant management for nearly 12 years. But I never, never quite fit in because in my heart, I just wanted to contribute towards social change, right? So when I made the change and began working in the social justice fields, and I have a well-rounded background in substance abuse, behavior, health, sexual assault, and at-risk youth, I found my calling, right? And honestly, I never looked back. 
I'm passionate about empowering young people to find healthy perceptions of themselves. You know, I want them to feel complete, safe, and be healthy individuals and, and able to make healthy choices. You and I have that in common at National Runaway Safeline. Because we have so many volunteers and interns and young people that work for the organization, I do try to make it a point to always establish boundaries and self-worth to make sure that people always feel comfortable doing the work that they're doing because it's so essential. It helps so many people's lives. But we do, we're fortunate enough to be able to work with a lot of young people who have lived experience and they bring that lived experience into the work that they do to help make sure that the work that they do and the things that they say to young people really resonates with them. So what you're saying definitely speaks to me. Are there any valuable lessons that you've carried over from your work life into your personal life? Yeah, so I think overall, and this is for anyone, young people, older adults, I just feel self-care is vital for our health, for our well-being. You know, and that could that could just include and everybody's self-care plan is different, but getting enough sleep, you know, eating healthy healthier foods taking deep breaths during the day. You know the work that we do, it may require that, right? For me, mindful meditation and having the time to just like decompress my thoughts and my feelings. It's just, self-care is just essential for anyone, but especially for people who have experienced abuse or other forms of trauma. I highly recommend to anyone to practice self-care. If you need help, we have a self-care checklist on loveisrespect.org on our website. Sad question. Can you give us a scoop on any of your favorite tips from the checklist or any that you think are especially important? <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's a set of questions and I would encourage everyone to go there because what resonates with me may not resonate with other people. And from that answers from the questions, you should be able to see what, what that looks like. It's just like a checklist. Like I said, uh, social ties is a good one, you know, interacting with other people exercise. So actually, I use it at least three times a week. Oh, nice. So it doesn't sound like your typical BuzzFeed list. It sounds like something that really looks into the way that you're talking to yourself, treating yourself and things like that, and something that changes so that you can use it on multiple occasions. Like you said, you go back to it frequently because you may be feeling a different way at the time. Absolutely. Because, you know, days... Every day is not the same. Every situation is not the same. Every challenge is not the same. But I'm not going to give you a sneak peek, Chris, Christopher. I want <laughs> you to go there and do it yourself. Okay. I, talent's accepted. I will definitely do that. And when talking about like the challenges that we face every day, what are some of the ways that you find young people are trying to deal with domestic violence issues before they reach out to Love is Respect or the Highline? Yeah, that's a really good question. But, you know, I can only speak to my direct experiences. And I have seen young people trying to deal with the issues themselves before they talk about them. Right. It's common in this industry that when young people speak to you or speak to older adults about a problem or a concern, it's been going on for a while. And it's no different with domestic violence or dating abuse. Many young people don't even recognize that they're not alone and they don't have support. You know, a lot of times they talk to their peers about it. 
our love is respect advocates are available 24 seven, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. I just must keep saying that because um, it's important for everyone to know. And they're there to answer questions or concerns regarding what a relationship is, what are the warning signs, is my relationship healthy, is it not, and offer, you know, assistance, whether that's phone, chat, or text, however a person feels comfortable, because you can go to our website to connect, or you can call 1-866-331-9474, or you can even just text love to 2252. I think the larger point is our data shows that of the three forms of contacts that we receive, like phone, chat, and text, most young people are reaching out to love is respect via chat. For example, this calendar year, our advocates made a measurable difference in the lives of young, young adults, and they answered over 32,000 contacts from youth and those who care for young adults across the U.S. I did an interview with one of our volunteers recently, and one of the things that she mentioned to me that really stuck out is that she was chatting with a young person who let her know that they didn't even realize that what they were experiencing in their home was a form of domestic violence until they saw it on TikTok. So have you found that young people are um, learning more about their mental health and taking care of themselves through social media? And do you see that through the hotline at all? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question, Christopher. And I'm glad you went back to that. And I can, again, I can only speak to my direct experiences, right? But I have seen that with love is respect, what happens is young people tend to reach out to us after hearing about the program through their networks, like social media or TikTok, right? Or seeing a mention of our program on television or even in news articles. So we tend to receive an uptick in calls, chats, and texts, depending on when these segments are released. But there's definitely always, you're right. I think that's the first point of contact on what one of the first point of contacts on what resources and support is out there. That's interesting your volunteer shared that with you. Yeah, it was so wild to hear because I, I totally know and understand that TikTok has become bigger than Google in some aspects, especially for Gen Z. But hearing it said out loud from a young person really drives the point home. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm really proud of Love is Respect has a National Youth Council age 13 to 26. So we are able, because we're just like you, we're anonymous, so we can't do the follow-ups, right? Because we want everyone to feel safe and everything is confidential, but we utilize the youth council members to make sure that we're being informed from the audience that we serve. So that's a very vital part of our work. Yes, we are. Our CEO, if you ask her one thing she would change about our industry in general is that it would be more centered around the youth voice. And we are trying to implement that more and more just the same way that you guys are. Cause like we said, yeah. it's so important to meet young people where they are. Absolutely. How important is it for parents to be in tune with their kids, social media habits, if at all. So parents and guardians are the, the greatest support systems because they are responsible for the overall well-being of the of, of the youth, right? And although it may not feel like it to teens, most of the time, your parents have the most investment in ensuring your safety. 
What many teens and young adults don't recognize is this includes digital safety, especially now in 2022. Parents should be aware of their teens' social media habits, and it's essential. I think it's just about having that conversation about healthy relationships, which include digital boundaries. Speaking of boundaries, is there a point um, when a parent is monitoring their kids' social media that it can become invasive? This is a passionate question for me. When you don't talk about domestic violence or abuse, to share the stories of survivors who have overcome their abuse, this is when the topic of awareness becomes invasive. And the reasoning, it's unknown territory for many. For those who have never experienced abuse or domestic violence, it is a guess as to what it looks like or could be. And those who have experienced abuse prefer not to talk about it. But healthy relationships, they, there's key elements to a healthy relationship. There's respect, there's consent, there's communication, equality, boundaries, trust, this speaks to a more significant point and the need to engage youth in meaningful conversations about healthy relationships. So it's important just to have that conversation, you know, and I think that it starts early. We, that's why I targeted audiences age 13 to 26. I think the earlier we start, parents or guardians start building that relationship, building that healthy communication relationship and um, having these conversations you know, not so much as trying to um, interrogate someone, but make it a norm, have that practice already in place, then it would be more easier, I think, because it's the safe space has been created for a young person to talk about these things. Yeah, you're you're tugging at my heartstrings here. I, I grew up a young queer kid in the South, a black man who was queer. So, you know, there is a lot of habits that I formed out of fear, out of like a lack of trust. And so I really appreciate this perspective of like, yeah, you know, it is all about open communication and building relationships through communication as opposed to interrogation. That that resonates with me so deeply because I, even as an adult, struggle to think like how was I supposed to approach my parents about these things when I'm terrified? And in the same respect, like how are my parents supposed to approach this? There's no like guide for these things. There's no instruction manual to tell you how to do it. But any successful parent out there will tell you that the first step is through open communication. I'm curious, do you have any other tips for parents who have kids that aren't really willing to share or to be open? about their social media habits. Yeah, and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that piece of you. I have some shared experience with that as well. But you know, in lieu of your question, a national study of adolescent dating relationships and parenting determined that positive parenting contributed significantly to adolescents being less tolerant of unhealthy and abusive relationship behaviors, right? While youth may be open, you know, they're like an open book with their friends. They may seem disengaged or un uninterested in conversations with their parents. You know, they might walk in the in the house and parents be like, hey, how was school? And they're on their phone like, great, and keep it moving, right? <laughs> but I can tell you that youth crave the connection and support of their parents. 
and you could probably speak to that from your own personal experience. So mm-hmm. parents, I, I think I would, what I would say is we encourage you to have meaningful conversations. It goes back to that with your youth and empower them to have relationships that are healthy and respectful. A couple of questions like, okay, so you encourage me to do that. How do I do that? Use some questions like, what do you look for in a dating partner, right? When you go out with your dating partner, who pays? You know, that speaks to, is there a concern for financial abuse, right? How's things going with with you and your partner? Hey, I noticed your phone's been going off a lot lately. Aren't you the popular one? So you're opening the door, but really you're addressing the concern that if your partner is constantly texting you or calling you, that that's a sign of, that's a warning sign, right? Yeah. So I think it's important, um, depending on their response, you're likely to hear more about what's going on in their lives. And again, for more tips, because I can't go into all, um, you can visit loveisrespect.org. And we also have a um, parent guide on our website that you can download a copy. And it has a lot of helpful information in that. And for everyone listening, we will definitely provide links directly to that parenting guide and to the earlier mentioned self-care questionnaire in the <laughs> in checklist. the exact thank you thank you checklist it's a checklist we have that <laughs> links to both of those available in the description of this episode now you mentioned um i think like the gist of what we're getting at here is that the parents are or the guardians are a big part of helping set those boundaries for young people who are you know especially when they're first starting out with dating and talking to other people whatever you want to call it whatever the kids are calling it these days mm-hmm. on the flip side how can a young person truly help a friend or a loved one who has confided in them that they're experiencing violence at home or in a relationship mm. How can friends, you know, put themselves in a place to help set boundaries or to be a good listening ear? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Now, that's a great question. And that's a question that needs to be asked more on platforms like this. So, Christopher, every situation is unique. But it's important to remember that our or your response to a friend or a loved one reflects the situation and those differences. Some of the common ways that you can confide in a friend or a loved one who shared with you that they're experiencing abuse or domestic violence include examples I'm going to provide. So the main thing is create a safe space, a non-judgmental space, be supportive, active listening skills, listen patiently and honor their decisions. We may not agree with their decisions, but we have to honor their decisions. Remember, abuse is never their fault. It's good to let them know that, remind them of that, and that they deserve to be in a healthy, positive, respectful relationship. Most importantly, continue to support them even if you disagree, like I said, with their choices, but it means a lot to them in their time of need to know that someone they trust has their back. You can also, you know, help your loved one create a safety plan. You know, that suits their needs. Ask them who who they'd like to contact if something gets um, serious or abusive. Maybe create a code word that um, like if I text you R.E.D. Contact, you know, someone to help me document any abuse for them. Like 
you know, sometimes you're having a conversation with your friends and you're just you're venting and you're sharing all these different things right down the time, right down the day, because they may not be, you know, emotionally stable enough to do that. So that's helping them out. Share the resources. Share that loveisrespect.org is there. Share that the National Domestic Violence Hotline is there 24-7, totally confidential, right? Especially love is respect because we're talking more about young people for them to reach out and if they have questions or concerns about their relationships. So I think the main thing is just a non-judgmental safe space. And don't don't tell them what to do. Empower them to make the right decision. Use open-ended questions. I think it's really wild how sometimes it's like we we know things, but like hearing someone else say it out loud, it's such an aha moment. Like these are in my mind, common sense things that just aren't, I'm probably not coming to the forefront of people's minds in these situations. I mean, documenting abuse for someone and, and like creating a code word. I mean, that's just really simple and powerful and it really helps create that trust, I would imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I'm curious about is if you found any intersections between domestic violence and youth homelessness. Yeah. So... Recognizing and understanding the intersections of runaway and homeless youth and intimate partner violence, which includes the dating or domestic and sexual violence, is critical to creating meaningful services and effective intervention and prevention strategies for both the homeless and relationship abuse victims. The evidence shows us that of the over 420,000 interactions between the hotline and Love is Respect, 9.1% contacts reported experiencing housing instability or homelessness. Of those contacts that reported homelessness or housing instability, 17.8% were between the ages of 13 and 26. Dating abuse is a pattern of destructive behaviors used to exert power and control over a dating partner. While we define dating violence as a pattern, that doesn't mean that the first instance of abuse is not dating violence. It just recognizes that dating violence usually involves a series of abusive behaviors over a course of time. So just from looking at our data, like I just shared with you, there is some, there is a large connection there. What are boundaries should young people set for themselves on social media platforms that make them accessible to strangers like Twitter or TikTok? The lines between healthy and unhealthy relationships can get confusing once a relationship goes online. It's not always clear what your digital relationship should look like. And different people may decide on additional terms for their arrangements, right? Your digital boundaries can change as the relationship evolves. Young adults should remember that once something is online, it's no longer under their control. Be protective of what you put on social media, including your in your info section, information section. And remember that personal details like phone numbers, your address, previous schools, employers, photos with landmarks, can make it easier for someone to reach you. The, the, the larger point I'm trying to make is set boundaries and limits for social media with your partner and other people in your life 
by adjusting your privacy settings, you know, to reduce the amount of information people can see and avoid posting personal details to other people's pages as well that may not have a strict privacy settings. Remember to keep passwords private with partners, even if you trust them. Is the age of youth who are experiencing teen dating violence skewing younger to even the preteen age because of social media or any other reasons? Great question. Evidence shows that in 2022, Love is Respect helped 30% of contacts aged 19 to 24, 29% of contacts aged 25 to 33, and 22% of contacts aged 13 to 18. Now, of those who contacted Love is Respect, the majority were inquiring about healthy relationships, like close to 40% or they were victims or survivors of intimate partner abuse. Although social media wasn't mentioned in this data, it does show us that younger audiences reach out at a higher rate via digital platforms, predominantly via chat, with love is respect. And I feel like every single um, organization that we've interviewed for the podcast has answered that question the exact same way. Like there's not necessarily the word social media in the data that they're capturing, but it's very clear that the age of the young people is skewing younger and they're having more access because they are able to see things like, like we said earlier, their um, services like, or programs like the hotline and lovers respect are, are, are in places where they can find them now because, you know, luckily there are young people like us who have these experiences and can set an expectation for where these young people may be looking for help. And in a lot of cases, unfortunately, that is online. So we know that, you know, as people, like my niece was seven years old when she got a cell phone, which still just blows my mind. But too. that's, <laughs> it's just wild how much access that gives them even with parental controls. So yeah, and the Gen Z, Gen Z, I mean, technology is Gen Z. When you think of Gen Z is technology. So they're online all the time. So as life evolves, we have to evolve with it. We have our services. So I'm just really glad that the social media platforms or an opportunity for young people to be able to connect to resources and education. What are the most overlooked signs of domestic violence or teen dating violence? Yeah. So what's important to remember, Christopher, is that dating violence involves several abusive behaviors over time. We talk about our relationship spectrum on our website, loveisrespect.org, where it talks about how a relationship starts off healthy, and then it can go to abusive with unhealthy somewhere in the middle. Some of the most overlooked but typical signs of abuse are, and this is not excluding others, but love bombing, where it seems like your love interest is really into you, or it's too good to be true, like meet you in a week and say, I'm going to marry you. That, you know, that may happen, but in a week, right? They give you over-the-top compliments, call you their soulmate, and provide you with cool gifts. As a young person, that's like, wow, they love me. So it's important to know that. Also, possessive, controlling behaviors, such as wanting to know your location, maybe even putting a tracker on your phone. Um, That's why um, we encourage people, part of safety planning is turning off your um, 
you know, your location and constantly checking your phone or your email or your social media accounts without. And the main thing is without your permission. Or there could be some extreme jealousy or insecurity, always accusing you of cheating, mood swings, temper tantrums, explosive outbursts. You know, so remember your priority should always be your safety, whether that's physical or emotional. So contact us, you know, 24-7, like I said, via text, phone, or chat if you need someone to talk to and really discuss your particular situation and how that's affecting you. Now, you've, over the course of this call, given us several different kinds of examples of safety plans, but can you talk about the importance of safety plans? Why having a safety plan and, and a safety plan in place is so important for young people? Yeah, it can save your life. Safety planning is a set of actions that can help lower your risk of being hurt by your partner. Often a safety plan enables you to improve your safety while ex- whether you're experiencing abuse, unhealthy behaviors, because uh, it escalates, right? That's why it's important to recognize the warning signs, especially when you're preparing to leave an abusive relationship or even after you've left. A safety plan is so important. Now, there's no one type of safety plan, but it includes vital information tailored to the person's unique situation. It can help them prepare for different scenarios, including telling their friends, their family about their situation, an emotional safety plan, and how to cope with emotions and various resources that are out there suited to their circumstances. So it's, 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 I can't say that there's one because each person's situation is different, but a safety plan can protect and um, keep you safe both physically and emotionally. And our advocates are here 24-7 to create and assist with a personalized safety plan for anyone. Oh, nice. So you guys actually sit with the person. And I know you guys like us are non-judgmental, non-directive, but you help them evaluate their situation and come up with a plan that works for their specific situation. Exactly. Let's say you go to your parent and they'd be like, we're going to call the police. That may not be what the person who's experiencing unhealthy behaviors or abuse would like to do. So it's important to really listen, like we talked about earlier, helping a friend to see how you can help and assist in creating a safety plan. But get with the experts. That's why I encourage you to contact us and create a safety plan that empowers that person, but also allows that person to be a part of, if that makes sense. Because they're coming out in an abusive relationship. So they're coming out where someone is always telling them what to do, not to do. So you don't want to do that. You want that. That's not creating a safe space. Um, the next question I, I feel really strongly about, and I it wasn't until I was reading through your website and saw this term that really like got my wheels turning. But can you explain the importance of understanding abuse in the context of culture? It's important to remember that relationships look different depending on the community and the cultural context you're living in or how you grew up. So what might cause issues for one partner may be acceptable for the other partner. Cultural context are the values and attitudes. And I got to say that again, are the values and attitudes we learn 
including our beliefs, customs, language, or norms. To put that, in, that into context, let's look at pop culture. Pop culture is known to romanticize unhealthy relationships and can lead audiences to believe that unhealthy power dynamics are okay. Pop culture is also can also be guilty of sensationalizing cheating or other taboo behavior. You often see this in romantic company, comedies. Let's talk about the classic films. I mean, when I was growing up, such as Cinderella, Snow White, The Little Mermaid, Sleeping Beauty. Think about it, Christopher. So, however, it's crucial to recognize that pop culture often perpetrates unhealthy and abusive ideas and power dynamics like unfaithfulness and other behaviors, which are not part of a healthy relationship. So we have to really see it for what it is and look at how that's affecting our young people. Wow. I'm 100% with you there. I don't want to get too far off topic, but I, because I am a Black person, I often think about the learned behaviors that come from my culture and, and trying to figure out when I disagree with those things, what I'm supposed to do about it. When I feel like there's things that are inherently wrong, like how do I address that? Mm-hmm. How do I approach that? Yeah. On a personal level, like when I was growing up and where we're at today, using my social media platforms, being mindful of the language because we want to bring people in but we also want to stand in our truth, right? I grew up as a um, black female. And then when I came out as gay, oh my goodness, right? And when I say, oh my goodness, I'm just talking about personal experiences with my family, right? Um, I grew up, my household, young people don't get involved in older adults' conversations. We have nothing to say on it, whether we agree or don't agree. and that carried over in my young adulthood, which I don't want to happen to young people today. And it made me, I wouldn't even say somewhat silent, silent. And it goes back to when I was in restaurant management and I just, I had all this in me, but I had no release. So I'm sure that's what led me to my job. I'm sure that's what led you to your job. But I think it's important for us to be able to, now, when I share my truth, It doesn't mean that I want everyone to agree with me. If you do or don't, I did my part. And this is just my personal. I did my part and shared my truth. Because for so long, I was silenced. And as a a Black gay female in this world, one thing I do not want to live, I want to live unapologetic, right? I want to stand in my truth. I want to speak my truth. Not saying it's everyone's else is true but at least it'll plant a seed and just like you said hmm, earlier when you said it's good you said that 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 could help someone really think about it even though it was simply said it plants a seed because i alone christopher alone cannot make the change it's going to take all of us but if one person is doing it it's like a domino effect That's the way I look at it. But I have to be mindful of my language. I'm not going to use language that's going to separate. I want to bring together, even though we're talking about some issues that may be separating as far as culture or 
communities, populations on the margin, but it's important to be able to speak it. That's what I do. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Angela. I'm leaving this conversation feeling so full and I'm so grateful that there are young people out there who get to learn from you. You're amazing. And so thank you again. And thank you listeners for tuning in. You'll be hearing from me again very, very soon on the Let's Talk podcast. Make sure you're up to date with the latest National Runaway Safeline news, events, and opportunities by following along with our social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 1-800-RUNAWAY.